1: Good morning. It is Monday, September 14th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm in a really good mood. I'm joined by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. I'm in a great mood because we're talking about Saturday's college football action. It felt a little weird. The slate was a little light. Stands were a little empty, but it was pretty satisfying, Chris. It
0: was, it was great, man. We had... It was a little weird. To, I think we had what three games in the afternoon slot, so that was that was a little unusual, especially with Florida State getting delayed like it did. Uh, Florida State, Georgia Tech, but it was a lot of fun to have football back, and we had some really good games at times, especially in the early morning. Uh, Kansas State, Arkansas State, Iowa State, Louisiana were really entertaining. We saw some quarterbacks make some Heisman statements early last night and all around it just it felt like college football despite the circumstances which is awesome
1: i was actually glad the florida state game got delayed with the weather because it it gave us a really good um late afternoon game leading up into into clemson wake forest so that was good and of course you know while we're on that florida state losing its opener in the mike norvell era at home to a quarterback and jeff sims your true freshman of the week that mike norvell did not want when he arrived in Tallahassee and dropped from the commitment list is is a really horrible way to start your 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 tenure there, and it it, it felt like deja vu of of twenty bl- uh, collapse against Boise State and you just kind of saw it same team you know new coach same result on Saturday against Georgia Tech.
0: Yeah, a lot of irony there with Jeff Sims uh, kind of getting it done for Georgia Tech against Florida State. And I think Florida State's been looking for a quarterback for a very long time, and they might have had it in Jeff Sims, but he's the future at Georgia Tech. And hats off to Jeff Collins and that staff. They were picked dead last in the ACC, and they went in there and punched Florida State in the mouth. Like, I think you might see the final score 16-13 to and think that Florida State kept it really close. But the only reason that happened is because Georgia Tech missed a pair of field goals in the red zone and just couldn't put the ball in the end zone. Other than that, Georgia Tech really dominated that game. They led uh, the yardage kind of fight by 130. They were much better on third down. They didn't turn the ball over as often. Jeff Simpson make two really pretty bad throws to Asante Samuel. But um, for the most part, Georgia Tech was in control of that game. At Florida State and uh, it's that is not a great start for Mike Norvell whatsoever and it's just kind of as you said feels like deja vu and a little bit kind of like the beginning of the Willie Taggart kind of era we all thought this hot new name was going to come in and fix Florida State right away and I think there might be some stuff under the surface there that's just a little more broken is going to take some time
1: yeah it was uh it wasn't a good day star defensive end linebacker Josh Kando also got hurt knee injury not sure you know, how he's going to do. I think the story of the day was, you know, outside of the, um, pregame COVID announcements where you saw teams with multiple players out. Oh, you had a ton of guys out. Georgia um, Georgia, Georgia
0: Southern G- with 33, 33 inactives
1: that, yeah, it, it, you know, barely beat FCS Campbell. That's clearly, I don't know. I, I think that maybe resonated a little bit more than I thought it would, Chris. I kind of, I kind of figured that, once teams got into the game week system and, you know, the bubble of their their athletic communities that we'd have, you know, not we, we wouldn't have situations sort of as drastic, like 33 guys or Oklahoma with a ton of guys out. Even Clemson was down, you know, two of their top three cornerbacks and several defensive linemen. So uh, that's just going to be a reality for everybody and and we saw some postponements uh, Saturday as well Virginia Tech Virginia got postponed Army BYU got postponed it's it's, it's going to be touch and go the entirety of the season and there will be times where we don't know the fate of a game until you know Friday afternoon Friday night Saturday morning and that's you know, kind of causes a little bit of anxiety and it makes it really hard to plan and and all that but hopefully with daily testing that gets better, but I was a little bit surprised kind of to sum that up as to how, how common the, the COVID and contact tracing um, inactives were on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I was Houston and Memphis is another game that got uh, postponed. And then about three hours later, Baylor and uh, uh, Baylor and Houston hooked up for a non-conference game because Baylor's game with Louisiana tech had been canceled a couple of days prior. And I was texting with a Baylor, Kind of source, and they were like, "We just kind of have to drop the film and get ready uh, within a week without even thinking about Houston all offseason." So that's just kind of what it's like. And in a lot of ways, it's not that much different than a normal game week for them. They would normally only have seven days to kind of get ready for a team, but things are moving really quickly. And uh, the two biggest upsets of uh, yesterday: Arkansas State. In Louisiana, beating the two Big 12 teams were both games that were scheduled a couple weeks ago. So it just kind of shows how um, quick this moves. As for the actual testing itself, you mentioned it. But it, it's just kind of the reality, like having uh, 33 players out, isn't. it sounds really shocking, but when you think about it, it only takes four or five positive cases. And then just contact tracing coming off of those guys to have a third or half of your roster sit out right away. And like we've seen that happen across the country week after week. And I think we've seen like the MLB uh, kind of mitigate that with the Marlins and uh, the St. Louis Cardinals with the outbreaks they had early and finish the season. And I think it's probably going to be a similar thing for college football. We're going to have a lot of cancelations. I think we're going to have some conferences that uh, have really uneven records uh, in terms of uh, determining the conference championship games. But right now it's just kind of the norm. It's the expectation. And I think we're going to push on.
1: I agree with you on the major league baseball parallel. And I was thinking about that with the Big 12 and how brutal its weekend was. So Iowa State lost, Kansas State lost, Kansas lost to Coastal Carolina. Um, Texas Tech gave up an obscene amount of passing yards to Houston Baptist. They almost lost that game. They squeaked squeaked by them. Texas and Oklahoma rolled, and and then TCU, Oklahoma State, and Baylor had postponements. And I was like, okay the conference the teams that lost games they weren't expecting to lose is that going to be hard for the coaches to circle the wagons not just as it would be in a normal year like all right guys you know we lost to louisiana iowa state guys like we can still win the conference that's tough enough but now you're like hey not only do you need to keep believing in yourself we need you to keep socially distanced and we need you to not go to parties and that's i i that that's an unintended consequence of playing these non-conference games. I I feel like, and I was just thinking about it late Saturday night with how bad the big 12 was like, Oh man, like I I hope the conference can, can get through this because there might be a lot of teams who, whose season really just, just got shot Saturday night.
0: That's the, that's the kind of the curse of those non-conference games for sure. Like it's going to, if especially if you're Iowa state or Kansas state or Kansas, which lost I, to coastal I, Carolina. For I second. never
1: liked that. They were playing that non-conference week. And I, I know you, I, you wrote about it in college football overtime that third, that extra data point, right? Because the sec is playing more and the ACC is playing more. Yeah, I just thought it was pointless. And maybe, maybe it's a good tune up because everyone looks sloppy on Saturday and maybe it's great for Oklahoma that they had an FCS game and, Texas that they had UTEP, the the two powers in the conference before they start conference play. But I just, I, I did. I don't know why it was. I don't know why it was that necessary. Cause it was really bad. Look, it was a horrible day for the big 12. Just the the story of the week.
0: Yeah. I completely agree. Like, I can understand why it's advantageous to play a tune-up game. Don't get me wrong. Oklahoma and Texas did it perfectly. Texas kind of leaned in their kind of uh, university system and played UTEP, which is the worst team in the FBS probably. And Oklahoma just like had a A nice like scrimmage against Missouri state, which is how you're supposed to do it. Iowa state scrambled to kind of fill its schedule after it had a couple of cancelizations and it, Basically scheduled probably the third or fourth best group of five team in the country as a warm up. That's not easy. Arkansas State is the second or third best team in the Sun Belt. That's not easy. That's and the they played last State week made. and they played. Yeah, and they they had a tune up ahead of this and like that's just I I don't see the benefit of that. It's like it's like when we call out teams for scheduling North Dakota State kind of as a non conference game. Like what's the point? You're going to pay for North Dakota State to come beat you, and that's what Iowa State. Kansas State did. So I I don't see the benefit from that standpoint other than you kind of get a tune-up to get ready for the Big 12 season. And that's what Matt Campbell, Chris Kleinman, Les Miles are going to be selling. Like You still have, well, not Kansas, but Iowa State at least, Matt Campbell, you have a chance still to compete for the Big 12 championship. And if you win the Big 12 championship this year, in a season that's going to be very different with the college football playoff, you still have a chance to reach the playoff. So those goals are still in front of them, but from a perception standpoint, especially with the playoff, I really think the committee is going to remember losses like this for three of the big 12's 10 teams and just kind of the overall feel of the league. It really hurts. And we haven't even mentioned that three of the teams in the big 12 had their games canceled due to COVID-19 concerns. So this, this lead up kind of the big 12 season has not gone smoothly
1: whatsoever. I'm glad you mentioned the big 12 or sorry, the, the playoff and the big 12's hopes for it. Do we think if, if we think Iowa state and Kansas state are as weak as they were on Saturday. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But if we think that those teams and Iowa state was the fourth best team in the big 12 in the preseason are no longer capable or dangerous enough to knock out a Texas or an Oklahoma or an Oklahoma state. I think there's a case to be made that the big 12, might be feeling better about getting a team in the playoff after Saturday. Now, the Devil's advocate would say, look, they were already were going to get their champion in. There's three power five conferences. But it it seems certain or very likely that Texas or Oklahoma or Oklahoma State can get through this thing, including the conference championship game, with a maximum of one loss. Like I, I, mean, I, I feel pretty good about the Big Twelve being extremely top heavy with two, maybe three really good teams.
0: I'm not ready to retire my Iowa State stock. They played that game yesterday without one of their best offensive linemen and one of their one of the best tight ends in the country in Charlie Kohler. Matt Campbell's always started or like started really slow. Um, you pointed out yesterday to me that he's two and three in his career to get the kind of the season going for Iowa State and they've gone on to win eight games pretty much every year. So I'm not I'm not dismissing Iowa State. But I I do agree. I think you can really see a scenario where maybe even the Big 12 manages to get two teams in the playoff. If Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas somehow split two of those teams, enter the Big 12 championship game with one loss or no losses, Like I can see a scenario in which a really dominant Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State uh, gets into the playoff, and then the team that lost to that team also gets into the playoff because there are only three Power 5 leagues. So I I do agree with what you're saying there. If the rest of the uh, kind of middle tier of the conference is worse than we thought, and I really did think the Big 12 had a really strong middle class. If that's the case, and this weekend reflects into the season, it really does help Texas, Oklahoma, and potentially Oklahoma State in terms of the playoff mix because they're going to have an easier
1: path. How much did you watch of Clemson, Wake Forest?
0: Uh, A decent bit. I was excited to watch kind of the young defensive lineman, um, Miles Murphy. Yeah, and uh, Brian Brzee. I also wanted to see DJ kind of come in with the second string, but yeah, I watched. I watched a significant. I also was hoping uh, my guy Carlos Basham, who I wrote about this week, would kind of pop off the screen. Uh, he he struggled against Clemson. Yeah,
1: he just sacked okay. in the first series. So Trevor Lawrence, when I was watching this game, I, I he had maybe one bad throw. He had he finished with with you know over three hundred yards passing, two rushing touchdowns, one passing touchdown. And I just, I just thought it was absolute, an absolute NFL showcase. And I get it; it's Wake Forest. People are in my mentions saying it's Wake Forest, but and they're in my mentions because I tweeted that the eye test was confirmed by Pro Football Focus, which said that his grade of a ninety four point two on a zero to one hundred scale was higher than any other game in his career on Saturday. And I just, night and day between his debut this year and his debut last year, in which he was forcing things a year ago had some turnovers against Georgia tech in that opener on Saturday night against wake forest. He just took what they gave him and he just fed the middle of the field, found his tight end. Didn't force anything on the outside. He was simply perfect, hitting long out routes, you know, running across his body, making throws on the, I mean, he was just, he was awesome. And you wrote about this. In, what? Go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say my favorite throw of him from the night, at least what I caught, and I was watching a lot of games, was a dropped pass by Armani Rogers in the back of the end zone. Yeah. He threw off his back foot like 45 yards and kind of laid it out perfectly, and it was just dropped. And he would have finished with over 400 yards had that uh, kind of completion happened. So that just kind of speaks to the night he had.
1: Yeah, he had two receivers drop a pass in the end zone. and He still finished with 20, 22 for 28 You wrote about this in overtime, and that's keep referencing overtime. It's pretty much required reading for college football fans Saturday night and Sunday morning. It was a pretty good day for our our quarterback Heisman uh, contenders, right? Like Trevor Lawrence looked great. He wasn't even the most statistically fabulous. Sam Ellinger, Texas quarterback, again, UTEP, whatever, 429 yards and five touchdowns at halftime. Spencer Rattler again a scrimmage against essentially against FCS Missouri State 14 for 17 290 yards and four touchdowns I didn't I didn't watch the game it was on pay-per-view but I saw some of the highlights and he just he just flicks his wrist and 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 the ball pops out and there aren't that many quarterbacks who can do that and then Sam Howell at North Carolina you wrote stock down I agree with you he he forced things maybe he maybe he has a Trevor Lawrence bug Chris, where he spent all off season reading his, his press clippings. He's ready to put on a show. He's ready I to actually, throw for 600 yards. And then he kind of just forces it.
0: Yeah. And I, I really do wonder with a guy like Sam Howell, like he, he's in an air raid system. Um, Spencer Rattler's air raid system is not really an air raid system anymore. in Lincoln Riley. It's been adapted so much, but um, Sam Howell's in a really true kind of air raid kind of look. And that, Offense is so reliant on timing. They run a lot of RPOs. They run a lot of kind of three seconds and less get the ball out of her hands. And during an offseason in which he hasn't been able to work with his receivers as much, I really do wonder how much that kind of affected him with those two interceptions. One of which was just a brilliant play by Andre cisco uh Syracuse's kind of all American safety. But uh he, he, he really came on in the second half. I wrote stock down because he threw two interceptions after throwing only seven last season, but I still expect him to be really good this season.
1: Yeah, North Carolina struggled. And then staying in the ACC, my guy, he's not on the Heisman watch list, but Mikael Cunningham at Louisville, 343 yards, three touchdowns. I like I Louisville a lot, and they have a primetime game Saturday against Miami, which will be really fun, him versus Derek King.
0: Yeah, and Louisville's gonna be a like Louisville's gonna be a really fun team to watch. Period. This year, um, I don't know how good that defense is gonna be. I think it's gonna really struggle. Uh, but the offense is so explosive. And Mikel Cunningham, he's not the most accurate passer in the world. He went 19 for 34 against Western Kentucky, which is a pretty good defense. But like he's he's gonna average over 10 yards of pass all season. Like he's got some real burners on the outside. Tutu Atwell was probably their third most productive receiver last night behind Destry Patrick and Braden Smith, who was a transfer or a Juco transfer this off season. So they're super deep at wide receiver. And they also have Javon Hopkins at running back. So that offense is going to be a lot of fun all year.
1: So you've got your top 10. I'm going to read it out because I want to talk about one of the teams in here. We haven't spoken about, and this is only teams that who have played. So in two weeks when the sec gets going, we'll, we'll mix these, these other guys in Clemson, number one, Oklahoma, two, Notre Dame, three, Texas, four, North Carolina 5, Louisiana 6, Memphis 7, Louisville 8, <laughs> BYU 9, Army 10. Again, it's a shame that the BYU Army for next week got postponed. And then by the time this podcast is up, the AP Top 25 uh will will be out and released without teams who aren't playing. And so we're looking we're looking in a situation in which Texas might be a top 5 team. Anyway, Notre Dame um it wasn't pretty and that's okay. It was the opener. I don't know, man. Like, I think I think Ian Book's really gonna miss Clayton his Claypool. guys from last year: Chase Claypool, Cole Komet. I like Kyron Williams, the new running back, ninety yards rushing over over ninety yards pa- uh, receiving as well. I like the new tight end Michael Mayer, the freshman. He's a backup to Tommy Trimble right now. The defense looked great against Duke. Uh, Kyle Hamilton looks like he'll be okay. The star safety hurt himself, but I, I Chris, I. I they're going to have to get a little bit more explosive on offense if they're going to keep up with Clemson in the, in the ACC.
0: Yeah, Tommy Reese's debut offensively I would describe as plotting. It doesn't help with the I don't want to make excuses, but the weather wasn't great there. It was raining most of the afternoon. But when I, is I the do. weather?
1: When is the weather great in South Bend? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, seriously, point. like like that's, <laughs> that's going to be, all year. Gonna be <laughs> all year. That's going to be all year.
0: That's a good point.
1: I, I like how I, you said plotting. Like I'm on the PFF, the top grades, the top four graded. Notre Dame players were linemen, which is what you expect. They have a great offensive line, but I I need to see some skill talent break out there or, or I don't see this. I don't see this team being nearly explosive enough. We mentioned Clemson, like there are some other teams in the ACC who could knock them off if, if they can't score more than, you know, 30 on the regular.
0: Yeah, I do. I do agree. I think the defense is going to be good enough to kind of carry Notre Dame for most of the year, but um, that especially Ian book is going to have to get a lot better, but I will say that offensive line, which I pegged as kind of the best in the country heading into the season is good enough to make that run game look good. And if Ian book can find at least one kind of outside threat, he can rely on consistently. Obviously we know how deep that tight end group is. Um, I think that Notre Dame has a chance to be at least decent on offense, which is good enough when you consider how kind of loaded that defensive unit is. I loved seeing, I know this is probably not going to matter to anybody on this podcast, but Avery Davis, a converted quarterback had a really nice catch in the end zone against Duke, uh, yesterday. Um, he's a Cedar Hill graduate, uh, in Texas, and he was a stud in high school. And I think he, he's got the athleticism to really kind of make a difference on the outside for Notre Dame. if kind of given the chance.
1: Yeah, fans were pining for former elite recruit Jordan Johnson. I believe um, he's a yep. you know freshman, and I don't. I'm not sure he played much um, on Saturday. So I think this is a pretty comprehensive update. I'm, I'm trying. I'm scrolling through Chris trying to see what what we missed, if anything. Uh, is there something standing out that I'm just sorely glazing over here?
0: I mean, unless you want to talk for the people that our people will care about, unless you want to talk uh, Dewan Mathis and what our georgia site we, we can
1: go I into that right. we can go into that and then we'll wrap up so it looks like our georgia site is reporting or alluding to uh the dogs 24 7 site that dewan mathis is gonna it, it looks like qb1 in athens over jt daniels is that you, does that scare you
0: if i'm georgia it scares me a little bit like Where i mean are. Yeah, like definitely. I think we're going to see a lot of like 17 to nine games for Georgia. This is no disrespect to Juan Mathis, but like he had a brain cyst that had to be surgically removed about a year ago. He hasn't played full contact football since high school. He's a redshirt freshman. I just like, I mean, his athleticism certainly brings something to the table, uh, a lot like what Jamie Newman would have done. But it's, I don't think it's a great thing if you're a redshirt freshman who hasn't played. Uh, full contact football in over 365 days is your kind of leading guy heading into the year. That's a that's a tough pill to swallow. Maybe I'll be surprised, but uh, if I really thought JT Daniels was going to be the guy to kind of maybe elevate Georgia's offense a little bit, and if Duan Mathis is pushing JT, and JT, from what we're hearing and what the Dogs 24/7 site here is hearing, is just like missing a lot of passes in practice. Like it's not a great sign for the offense.
1: Yeah, he's still not fully cleared. I don't think. I, maybe the one thing I talked myself into there was Todd Munkin, the new offensive coordinator, spent the offseason thinking he had Jamie Newman as his quarterback. So whatever he was drawing up, you know, sketching on his napkin while he was at the beach, probably involved a mobile presence there. And you lose Jamie Newman two, a week ago, two weeks ago, and you're like, well, I mean, his offense is his offense, but he probably had something in there to account for some elusiveness at your quarterback spot. And Dwan Mathis gives you that, while J.T. Daniels never did, and certainly won't, coming off an ACL injury. That's the only thing I could think. But regardless, and that's just I, that's just it. It just lowers their floor too much to where I feel I feel better, more th- better than ever about my my pick that Florida is going to win the SECs.
0: Same. And if like, George is loaded, I think we're going to probably talk you will probably talk with somebody about the team talent composite this week and Georgia is likely going to be the number one team and kind of the country in terms of overall talent on their roster. That's a juggernaut that Florida's trying to catch. And if there was a year for Florida to kind of take that step, it is definitely now like Georgia looks very vulnerable, even if that defense is going to be elite and that group is going to be great. I just don't know how much you're going to be able to rely on their offense from week to week other than the run game.
1: All right. Well, I think that wraps us up, Chris. Appreciate you joining me. Uh, appreciate our producer Tony Levitt for putting this together. Shoot us your five star ratings, your reviews on Apple Podcasts. It should be a fun week on the College Football Daily. We've got the team talent composite to talk about. We've got a few other product releases, our uh, feature releases coming out. I want to get Brandon Marcello on the horn at some point this week. He was at Spencer Rattler's debut, and since that was fifty nine dollars pay per view, I feel like he's one of the one of the few people. Who actually got to see it who don't live in in Oklahoma so it should be a good week and hey the the what week three slate doesn't look as good as week two because a lot of teams are off or playing FCS foes but I really don't care uh, it's college football I'm excited about it really pumped for Miami Louisville on ABC on Saturday night and uh, excited to get things rolling with you Chris that'll do it for us on the college football daily we'll see you guys on Tuesday